Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline? And what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. This is Buried Bylines. We're in episode eight. Episode eight. We're almost to ten. It's Small milestones. I know. Well, we hoped you liked the episode with Pat. I know it was a couple episodes ago, but I still can't forget about it. It was amazing. I know. I think having guests on is going to be like my favorite part of doing episodes. Yes. And we've already lined up our second guest for episode 10. Yeah. So stay tuned for that one. We're really excited. Yes. Someone we've both worked with very closely in our time in this station. But today for episode eight, we're going to be covering one of the oldest cold cases in Sumter County, South Carolina. I am really excited because I've heard about this case, but it's been a really, really, really long time since I've heard the details of it. Yes. And there are a ton. So this happened 46 years ago. Wow. That's crazy. It's the Sumter County does. I don't know if listeners have heard of this, but I do know that Crime Junkie did uh, an episode about it. Generation Y podcast did one about it, but I really couldn't find many news articles about it other than the reason I chose to do this case because there has recently been some major movement and by major, I mean major, like potentially cracking the case major. Let's just get it. Like, can we just solve all the- Let's just solve it. (laughs) Let's solve everything. I I think we could do it. So sick and tired of cold cases. I know, but they're so interesting because there's so much speculation. We'll start this story off with how many true crime stories start off with a 911 call. On August 9th, 1976, the bodies of a man and woman were discovered off of Old St. John Church Road in Lynchburg, South Carolina. Neither of them had any identification on them. According to an article in The State, a truck driver discovered the bodies just off of I-95. According to Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, this was a remote dirt road, so not very heavily traveled. The two bodies, male and female, were lying on the road's shoulder. Now, in my research, there is a little bit of a discrepancy about where and how many times they were shot. But according to an article in the Sumter Item, which I can only assume is the Sumter County newspaper, they cited the autopsy report, which later showed the victims were each shot three times, once in the chest, once in the back, once in the head. Wow. I know. The victims were quickly dubbed the Sumter County Jock and Jane Doe's. So what do you remember about this? I remember that they were unidentified and that up until like a year or two ago, mm-hmm. they were still unidentified. So they went decades without yes. anyone ever even figuring out who they were, which made it impossible to figure out I to know. Like solve the case. Yeah. And that's what's the craziest part to me because we'll get into it, but there was a ton of description of these guys. A quick Google search of the Sumter County Jock and Jane Doe's brought up 25 results if you search the news. But again, this happened in 1976. Along with the photos of the victims, police also shared pictures and descriptions of some of the clothing and items they had with them. And here's where I'm going to have you look up the pictures, Mallory. If you type in Jock and Jane Doe, the Doe Network, it should bring it up. Because I personally think they're super morbid, but I get why they were circulated. So like these are actually pictures of them dead. And I can't tell if some of them are on an autopsy table or I'll talk about it later they had no idea 
who these people were. So they were put in transparent caskets for people to walk around and look and see. So I don't oh. know if they're pictures from that. Are you finding them? Oh, wow. For how bad the murders were, their faces are so intact. Like, that's how did true. People not know who these people were. I know. It's they're like clear. Their faces are so clear. Yes. So according to the Doe Network, Jock Doe was described as a white male between 18 and 30 years old, six foot one, about 150 pounds. He had brown hair and eyes. He had two two-inch scars on his right shoulder, an appendectomy scar, and a ton of extensive dental work. So police were really hopeful that they could look into that dental work because, it, again, it was extensive, not just like cavities filled or wisdom teeth taken out, but they couldn't find anything. He was found wearing faded Levi blue jeans, a red Coors America's Light Beard t-shirt. He had a Balava Accutron yellow gold watch. I don't know if that's how you say it. They have the serial number of the watch, so they tried to track that down, but the watch company had, like, destroyed all its records or something. He also had a 14-karat gold ring with a gray stone that had the initials JPF engraved on the inside. I am looking at the pictures of this jewelry that was found, too, and it's so 70s. Uh-huh. so amazing. I'm like, I want, there are some beautiful rings that like yes. Jane Doe was found yes. wearing. And I was like, these are stunning. I know they were so cute. And that's like one of the things. So they were like, it was like nice jewelry. So people or police anyway, immediately thought these are well-off people. They come from money. Jocto also had a book of Grant's truck stop matches in his pocket, which were only found in Idaho, New Mexico, and Nebraska. So again, a lot of identifying descriptions. Yeah, that's, I mean, how much farther can you whittle it down? I know, I know. So Jane Doe was described as a white female aged between 18 and 25 years old, 5'5", 100 to 105 pounds. She had brown, medium-length hair with blue-gray, blue-green, or hazel eyes. She had two small moles on her left cheek, another on the right side of her face. She also had a mole on her right calf, pierced ears, no surgical scars, with very long eyelashes, they noted. So she's beautiful. Yeah, pop-off girl. My (laughs) eyelashes look like Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. Have you seen that? It's like three of them (laughs) on my upper, and they're like, yeah, it's not good. Important to know, although they were both described as white, investigators went out of their way to say they both had, quote, smooth skin with olive undertones. They were kind of thinking maybe they're from another country, maybe they're hitchhiking or traveling cross country. I don't know if olive undertones, if they meant like they're super tan, so they were outside a lot, but they went out of their way to say that. So as for what she was wearing, she had cut off blue jeans, a pink halter top that tied in the front and an unbleached muslin blouse. She was also wearing a pair of stride right wedge-heeled sandals. So 70s! I know, with lavender pink and purple stripes. So 70s. And as for the rings that she had, she had three silver rings that resembled, quote, American Indian or Mexican handmade jewelry. Yes, I was going to say the turquoise is, like, very I know. They look popping. so cute. Yeah. I want them. So one was a faceted band with red, white, and blue stones. Another had an oblong black stone. And the third was a large, intricate feather scroll band with a jade insert. I didn't find this anywhere else other than the Doe Network, which I thought was interesting. The Doe Network also mentioned a possible witness as to what might have happened. 
So apparently early in the morning of August 9th, 1976, a man, quote, living in the sticks between Sumter and Florence counties heard a car going down a road that connects I-95 to another local road. According to that witness, someone climbed out of the car. The witness heard gunshots and then the car raced away to the highway. So that's like a key piece of information that I thought would be in a lot of the news articles, but no. I guess not, but I mean, that just goes to show the work that the Doe Network does, and it seems like investigators did a lot of work, too, especially with tracking down the items they had with them, like those matches, and then looking at the serial number, contacting the watch brand, things like that. The victims apparently had no money on them, but there were several clues, like I said, that led investigators to believe they both might have been well off, like that ring and the watch. Both were also described as clean cut. And here's the weirdest detail that threw me off. Neither of them had underwear on. Hippies. I know. I know. I'm like, is that a 70s thing or? I don't know. That's very interesting fact. Yeah, that they both didn't have any on. So looking into the autopsy, it later revealed the two had eaten fruit or ice cream with fruit not long before they died. And a witness later remembered seeing a couple matching their descriptions at a fruit stand nearby. No word on if they were by themselves or riding in a car or with somebody. Hmm. Now we get to why they kind of dubbed the Jock Doe Jock. So months later, an employee of KOA Campgrounds near Santee, South Carolina, called police saying he had earlier made friends with the dead man who went by the name Jock. That's according to documents in the case file. Jock would match the first initial engraved on the ring and may have originated from the French name Jacques, J-A-C-Q-U-S, which is why some people believed he may have been from Canada. That makes sense. DNA testing later proved that the two were not related at all. So now at this point, investigators were looking into the theory that they might have been hitchhiking cross country. There was also a theory that they were carjacked or something. They tried to identify the pair through fingerprints, the serial number on the man's watch, dental records. Officials with Interpol and U.S. Customs and Immigration Authorities were also contacted, but no luck. Like, I don't know how no one saw this. That's actually, like, crazy. Well, it also just goes to, like, the world that we live in now compared to how things were before because there literally were no cell phones there weren't digital cameras like yeah that's true things were so completely different you just had to go off of if someone happened to see something and if they were telling the truth the bodies were kept at a local funeral home in airtight see-through caskets and hoping that someone would identify them so that's where those creepy photos come from i believe so creepy I know. A year later, the Sumter County Sheriff's Office buried the two in a cemetery in Oswego. Hundreds of people attended the service. Law enforcement agencies raised money for the burial, so that's really nice. Their gravestones read, male unknown and female unknown. I saw those pictures too. That's so sad. It's so eerie. Like, someone is missing these people. Just unknown, unidentified body. Like I know. Ugh. I know. So fast forward to 2007. So that's quite a bit later. Investigators, huh. <laughs> yeah, investigators again tried to focus on identifying the two victims. The coroner had the bodies exhumed and got DNA samples for testing. The Sumter item reports in 2019 a Clemson resident with an interest in the case, Matt McDaniel, suggested the samples be sent to the DNA Doe Project, a nonprofit that identifies deceased persons using forensic genealogy, which 
can I work there? Well, we're fun. not scientists, so probably not. No, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'd but, probably just be a problem. <laughs> I mean, you have to think about how many cases there are that are probably like this, where the victims are just not identified. Right. I feel like these days, it's a lot easier to put things together because if someone has their phone on them or if they have their mm-hmm. wallet and their ID or or some, you know, or stuff CCTV. like that. Yeah, there are ways, easier ways to identify people now than there were back then. But I yeah. know that there are a lot of cases like from, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, where they just were, if you could find a body and if there wasn't like DNA on them right. or like, if even there if was, there was, it wasn't yeah, great. ID, <laughs> their testing processes were not as advanced as they are today. No. No, and I think I do I do like the fact that I feel like more and more of these are getting solved, like 40-year-old cold cases getting solved in 2023, 2022. So that's hopeful. So McDaniel had dedicated himself to solving the case for eight years. He even shared his research and a potential list of suspects with the Sumter County Sheriff's Office. So that's cool. I think we'd be friends with him for sure. And here's the big break. Listeners, are you ready? No, you're not. After the sheriff's office sent the DNA samples to the Doe Project, they got matches. In 2021, the two victims were identified using the same genealogy database used to catch the Golden State Killer. Dude, I freaking love genealogy. Yes, I always support that. So here's our Jack and Jane Doe. They are 25-year-old Pamela Buckley and 30-year-old James Froond. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I know. It's like after 46 years or whatever. Not to jump the gun, but were their parents like still alive to know? They did notify family members. I do know. It didn't really go into detail, but here's a little background. Pamela was originally from Minnesota and was reported missing from Colorado Springs in 1975. James was from Langston, Pennsylvania and was also reported missing in 1975. But again, we're at the strangest part of this whole story to me. It's unclear to this day how the two were related or why they were together. Yeah. How do they know each other? There's no, no one knows. Like, the families have no idea. The families have said, we do not know how they connected. I feel like they were lovers. Maybe. Or they were, like, hitchhiking together. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So, I do want to share some additional background on the victims because, like I said at the top, the case is still unsolved. The killer's still out there. (laughs) Um, According to the Redwood Falls Gazette, Pamela was crowned the Redwood J.C.'s Snow Queen in February of 1970. She was set to become Miss Redwood Falls in 1971, but decided to tour the West Coast with her band called Sunlending. Ah! 70s! Have you found any of their music? Are they good? No, no, I didn't. But I think I would have vibed with her so hard. Yeah, she seems like super cool. (laughs) I know. I know. And it seems like she had a lot going for her before she was murdered, which yeah. is just so senseless. So James graduated from McCaskey High School in 1964. The Medium article reports he entered the Army after high school, did basic training at Fort Knox, completed the auto repair course the following year. Court records show he married Charlene Albright in 1965, later filed for divorce in 1971. He allegedly failed to pay child support in 1974, so I guess he had kids, but there wasn't much about that. 
His family last saw him in Lancaster on Christmas Day in 1975. It was kind of conflicting. So in my research, Pamela was definitely reported missing to the police, but it seemed like he might not have been. Huh. So I'm not quite sure how that so all they, they went about. So they just like hadn't heard from him in a while and didn't say anything? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he had other things going on in his life and he just wasn't communicating with family to begin with. So they were like, eh, he's probably somewhere. I have no idea. We know so little about them just because I feel like now a lot of people that knew them are gone because it's been almost 50 years. Yeah, that's the other hard thing about cold cases is so much time has passed that you lose suspects and witnesses and... Anyone who could have helped solve the case. Yeah, yeah. So to the possible connections, again, it's crazy to me that no one at all seems to know how they were together or why. Maybe he started watching her band one night and decided to talk to her and they were like, cool, let's go hitchhiking. And then they were vibing. So they decided to go together. I have no clue. I mean, I've said it one time. I'll say it a million times. The 70s were crazy. Yes, people the 70s just cr- did stuff that you don't do anymore. Like That's true. And we don't know if like drugs were a factor or not because they were very popular back then. In 2021, Sumter County Coroner Robert Baker said, quote, I hope there is somebody out there in the United States that comes with a guilty conscience or has some kind of memory of these victims, which, yeah, their killer or killers are still out there. They might be dead. They might be in jail. They might be just out and about. And that's kind of scary to me. They were shot in the chest neck and head I believe we're good people so we'll never understand how someone can shoot two people three times and then just like execution style and then just move on with their lives and keep going my main guess at motive for this is that they were either hitchhiking and then got robbed or they were carjacked and got robbed i don't know i i honestly don't believe that it was by someone they knew yeah i don't think so i feel like it was definitely random yeah it's so frustrating but that's why i love cold cases because there are so many possibilities so there are some theories on suspects in 1977 a man named lonnie george henry was arrested in lotta south carolina for driving while intoxicated he allegedly owned a revolver which police found in his vehicle Wikipedia says it was later found to be the murder weapon after it was test fired by investigators, but I mean, that wasn't widely reported, so I don't really know what to make of that. Yeah, and we've talked about before a little bit in the Delphi case that, like, testing guns and stuff is is not as, like, solid evidence as, you know, you can say, like, this is the type of gun that matches it could have been a similar gun or the same gun but it doesn't mean that that was the gun and we don't know if like they found bullets at the scene or not so it's just hard to tell but henry died in 1982 he was located by police but never charged due to insufficient evidence but again that's on wikipedia so do with that what you will Some people speculate that infamous serial killer Henry Lee Lucas could have been involved in the murders. Lucas himself actually told police he was in South Carolina on the day the victims died, but he was also notorious for his false confessions. And he was vague. He was super vague when he confessed to stuff. He's like, yeah, I would kill a man and woman on a Wednesday in California. So, like, super 
vague. That's just a theory. He died in 2001 from heart failure and was never charged in connection to this case. And those are really the only two things that I found suspect wise. When you looked up like newspaper articles, were there any articles about like potential suspects? Was that information ever released to the public? No. Damn. No. But after the victims were identified, Sheriff Anthony Dennis said they reopened the investigation and were planning to follow up with a, quote, person of interest. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> I would like more details, but I understand why we can't have them. The most recent mention of the case I could find was an article in August 2022 where the Sumter item interviewed a relative of James Frund, who spoke about how thankful he was that Bethel United Methodist, where the two were buried, took care of his loved one. So that's the last mention that I found. I read somewhere that authorities plan to get them new headstones with their names. So that's really nice. Yeah. That's all you can do at this point. I'm dying to know what the the potential suspect or person of interest was following up with. Who are you? Ugh. Anyone with information can contact the Sumter County Sheriff's Office or their Crime Stoppers at 1-888-274-6372. And that's all I got. I'm, like, torn between thinking that whoever did this, like, lives in South Carolina. I know. Or that they were all hitchhiking together. And, like, one person killed them, took the car, took their money, like, took everything. And they had all their jewelry on them. Some people don't find value in jewelry, like, because it takes work to, like, sell jewelry. You gotta go to a pawn shop. You can be traced back to it. Yeah. And honestly, if I were going to kill those people and I was looking... Allegedly. Yeah, if I was looking at the jewelry they had, like... All of those pieces are very unique, That's and true. I feel like they could potentially be tied back That is a, to someone. A I mean, the watch had his initials engraved in the back. The ring. The ring. Yes, okay. but the watch yeah. did have the serial number on yeah, it. Yeah, so there, there are two things right there that, yeah. I mean, they didn't end up panning out for police, but how is he to know? Who, or That's true. Sure. Assuming that the person was a man that killed them. And then neither of them had money on them when they were found, but we don't know if they did or not, so that could be possible. But let's talk about why neither of us have heard about this, except for that Crime Junkie episode. Yeah, I listened to the Crime Junkie episode, but before that, I'd never heard about this at all. Me either. So one, it happened in the 70s, and like we've said before, the 70s were wild. You could literally get murdered walking out your front door. And there were several serial killers yeah, active let's get, in the let's 70s. Yeah, let's get into that, shall we? Sure. In 1976, when the bodies were discovered, we had the California State University Fullerton Massacre, where seven people died. Son of Sam and John Wayne Gacy were just starting to become active. Son of Sam. Yep. Oh my there god. Were a million thousand interstate-related murders, it seemed like. So again, I think this case got lost in the shuffle, especially with the victims not being identified until two years ago. Because their identities were unknown, there's no family members to push to get the murder solved. So no one's hounding media to cover the case because they don't know where their loved ones are. They just, th- they, they're missing at that point. And you don't want to be like, oh, they're dead. The main reasons I think this case did not blow up, at least back then, is the time in which the murders happened. So it was 
long ago, sharing of information was a lot different than it is now. And the fact that they were unidentified at the time. We won't know about TV wise, but like, were their faces put in the newspaper? Were there newspapers outside of South Carolina that were circulating about their deaths? So in what I read, it seemed like they kept saying that the photos and descriptions were circulated nationally, but I don't really know what that entails because they could have just said nationally, like meaning of surrounding states. It would be hard to share things nationally then, I think. Okay. The AP Newswire was launched in 1935. That had to be like letters. Right? Yeah. Or fact. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, that's how a lot of news stations now, yeah, like, either print journalism or TV journalism get a lot of information from the AP. And yeah. we can, like, if something's from the AP, it is an overall thing that you can verify be like okay that is something you can run with it's a credible source yeah yeah so this says like in 1935 the ap launched the wire photo network which allowed transmission of news photographs over leased private telephone lines on the day they were taken this gave the ap a major advantage over other news media outlets so i'm wondering if they just sent like a description of these people and then their pictures over the wire and then that was distributed to other like newspapers possibly i'm gonna have to look this up on reddit and see what they say what people say (laughs) go down the rabbit hole but trust nothing do not trust the reddit page (laughs) ever yeah there's a lot of like renderings of them too and i don't know if that was like released throughout the years or if somebody just did it of like their progressive like what they would look like today yeah Yeah, because there's some sketches too I feel like there's no point in those unless the person is missing. Those yeah. like I mean we had their face. Yeah. We had their I saw exactly what they look like yeah. very clearly. Yeah, I don't know. But with time and the fact that the victims are now identified, I feel like this could definitely be solved someday. All it takes is the right tip, the right lead, or maybe a deathbed confession. I didn't remember if you said um was there any DNA at the scene that wasn't there? I don't there? Believe so. Okay. I think they just took DNA from the bodies. And that's it. I don't know how more people aren't aware of this because that's just crazy. That yeah. two people, not one person unidentified, but two people. I just want to know how they were together. I do too. That's the I biggest thing. I feel like thing. we'll never know. We might if it gets solved. I want them to be lovers. I know. Maybe we can just pretend they were lovers and they had a great, great time together at the time of their lives before yeah. someone freaking murdered them. I'm gonna put it together. I'm gonna create a story in my head that they were like a story lovers. Oh, <laughs> but I'm glad they have their names back because that definitely yeah. gives closure to the families. And thank God. E- yeah, even though they don't know who killed them, at least they know for sure that it was their loved one and now they're at rest how else can we push this forward contacting the sheriff's office they're keeping the interest alive because again they were identified in 2021 maybe i'll get off this podcast and call and see who the person of interest is and they'll tell me (laughs) great we're just gonna be calling tv stations and police stations going forward for the rest of our lives tell me everything thank you (laughs) goodbye Goodbye. <laughs>
Oh, good job, girl. Thanks. It was it was very spooky. It did feel eerie researching it and seeing like those photos. Yeah, those photos are definitely freaky. Yes. I think those photos are like the biggest reason why I'm shocked that this case yes. did not blow up. Because yes. there's so much detail, the mm-hmm. images of their faces. The jewelry, the clothes that they were wearing, yes. so much detail. It was so identifiable, and it's just crazy that nobody <sighs> said anything. As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due. For this episode, I got my information from the Sumter Item, The State, The Toronto Sun, Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, WPDE, Medium, The Doe Network, Law and Crime, The Daily Mail, and Wikipedia. You can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes. Please make sure to check them out. Bye! Bye.